0: turn for our scripture reading this morning to 2nd Corinthians 4 and 5. We begin reading at 2nd Corinthians 4 verse 8 and we continue into chapter 5 through verse 10 and we read this in connection with Lord's Day 22, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken, we also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God. And house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up in life. Of life. Now he that hath wrought for us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body. And to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We read God's word that far. We consider the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism this morning as we conclude the Articles of the Apostles' Creed, Lord's Day 22. What comfort doth the resurrection of the body afford thee? that not only my soul after this life shall be immediately taken up to Christ its head, but also that this my body, being raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like unto the glorious body of Christ. What comfort takest thou from the article of life everlasting, that since I now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, After this life I shall inherit perfect salvation, which eye hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man to conceive, and that to praise God therein forever. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we consider this morning the last two articles of the Apostles' Creed concerning the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. The Apostles' Creed places these last two articles in the section on the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who planted that beginning of eternal life that produces that beginning of eternal joy in my heart already now in this present life. And the Holy Spirit is also the one who assures me, who gives me the comfort that he will give me, that I will receive the fullness and the perfection of eternal life after this life in the world to come. The Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit gives us those blessings. Lord's Day 22 is also connected to Lord's Day 21, the previous section, which we saw treats the Lord Jesus Christ gathering, defending, and preserving one holy Catholic Church out of all nations, from the beginning to the end of the world. The connection is this, that in this life, The Lord Jesus gathers, defends, and preserves a church to himself, which becomes the militant church, the fighting church, the church in this world that is fighting the good fight of faith. But if the Lord Jesus gathers us into the church in this life, then we can also be sure that he will gather us into the triumphant church after this life the triumphant church in heaven. In the Apostles' Creed, we express the things that we believe. So with these last two articles, your and my confession is, I believe the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Now let's remember again that we do not believe in these things. Rather, we believe in God. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit because we place our trust in God alone for our salvation. But we believe the truth of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. We believe that these things will truly happen in the future. And therefore, here is where faith crosses over into hope. And what we have in these last two articles is the content of our Christian hope, the resurrection, and everlasting life. To use the words of the Apostle in the passage that we read, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. With these eyes, we look at the things that are seen, We can see the storms that rage in this world and that endanger and threaten our lives constantly. We can see the cancer that afflicts the body of a loved one or someday perhaps our own body. We can see the grave, that dark hole in which the body is placed after this life. We can see those things. But the Apostle says, We don't look at the things that we can see. But we look at the things that are not seen. Because those visible things are only temporal. But the invisible things are eternal. And he says in verse 14 of the chapter 4, that we know that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus. We believe that. And so, as he says in chapter 5, verse 7, as Christians, we walk by faith and not by sight. You do, don't you? You walk by faith, don't you? Not by sight. So let's consider believing the resurrection to life eternal. Notice, first of all, life in my soul in heaven. Secondly, life in my body at the resurrection. And finally, life everlasting in the world to come. The first question of this Lord's Day is What comfort doth the resurrection of the body afford thee? And the answer to the question is, first of all, that my soul after this life shall be immediately taken up to Christ, its head. At the moment, we are still in the body. That is, our soul is still in our body. The way the Apostle Paul puts that in the chapter we read is that we are at home in the body. We are at home here in our bodies. When God made us in our mother's womb, Psalm 139 teaches that he fearfully and wonderfully knit us together with all of our parts, and that includes the body and the soul. He knit together at the moment of our conception our body and soul, the physical and spiritual side that would make up us as a human being. Because a human being is a union of body and soul. A human being is not just a body. A human being is not just a soul. But a human being is a body and a soul united in one person. And therefore each of us has a body and each of us has a soul The body is obvious, we can see it. The soul is less obvious because we cannot see it. The body is physical and visible. The soul is spiritual and invisible. What is the soul? You have a soul and I have a soul. What is our soul? Our soul is that component of our human nature that is spiritual that component of our human nature that makes us a higher intelligence compared to the animals, the beasts of the field and the creeping things and the birds and the fish. The soul is that spiritual component of our human nature that makes us capable of bearing the image and likeness of God, of looking like God himself. And it is that component of our human nature that gives us the ability To have a relationship with God, to be conscious of ourselves, of our existence, and to be conscious of God and his existence, and therefore to have a relationship with God, a personal, intimate, loving relationship. The soul is our spirit. The soul is the wellspring, the deepest, secret, internal, invisible well of all of our thoughts, Desires and beliefs. Now, we can say that the soul operates through our brain, and that's probably true. Scientists have studied the brain for hundreds of years and discovered that the brain is an astounding, amazing organ in the body, in our heads, which God has created and through which the body is governed and regulated. But although we can see the brain with highly sophisticated medical technology, scientists and doctors can look at our brains, they can scan our brains, they can tell us things about our brains and what's going on inside our heads, even the most sophisticated and advanced medical technology on earth cannot and never will be able to see your soul. Your soul is spiritual and invisible. And the soul is tightly, closely knit together with our bodies so that they form a union. God has made us to be a union of body and soul. So that the soul is not just free to fly away from the body and wander about the earth separately from the body. Although it is true that the soul can exist and can live outside the body, as we will see, the soul is meant to be in the body. The soul is most at home in the body. The soul and the human being is only whole when the soul is in the body. And the separation of the soul from the body spells death. Death is what separates the two. They are so tightly joined together by God himself that only God himself can separate them at death. The apostle calls our bodies, in chapter 5, verse 1, our earthly house of this tabernacle. Our body is like a house for our soul. Our body is more like a tabernacle for our soul because it is the temporary dwelling place of our soul as long as we are alive in this world. But what happens to our soul after death? That's one of the greatest mysteries, isn't it? What will happen to me when I die, we want to know. What will happen to me when I reach the end of my earthly sojourn here on this earth? When my soul vacates this tabernacle and leaves this tabernacle empty and flies away? What will that feel like? What will that be like? What will happen to me? We've never experienced that before. We've only experienced life as a soul at home in the body. We only know what it is like to see with our physical fleshy eyes and hear with our physical ears and touch with our physical hands and walk with our feet and speak with our mouths and hear with our ears. We cannot imagine what it will be like when our soul departs from our body, how will our soul be able to live outside of the body? How will our soul be able to see without eyes, and hear without ears, and walk without feet, and touch without hands, and hear without ears, and see without eyes? How will our souls be able to see Jesus when our eyes are buried in the grave, How will our feet be able to walk on those streets of gold when our feet are in the grave? How will our ears be able to hear the sounds and the songs of angels and saints up there in glory when our ears are in the grave? How will we be able to join that choir of angels and sing when our mouths are in the grave? That's the mystery. The catechism says that as it is written, eye hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man to conceive the things that God has prepared for them that love him. And by quoting 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, the catechism is reminding us that there are certain things about life in the soul after death that we just can't understand, that we simply don't know, that we can't even imagine. We can't even conceive. We have to be content not having those questions answered. We have to be content with the fact that it will be glorious. It will be wonderful. It will be a time, an experience of great joy. But we cannot understand it on this side of the grave. The Catechism says that after this life, this is what we need to know and this is what we can know That my soul, when it vacates this earthly tabernacle, will be immediately taken up to Christ, its head. Immediately. One moment, we will be here in this world. One moment, we will be in the body, in the soul, uh, in, in this tabernacle. And the next moment, we will be in glory, outside of our body, in our soul, in heaven. When we die, our soul will not hover over our bodies, as some people believe. Our souls will not float around the room where our body is lying, as others believe. Our soul will not wander aimlessly throughout the earth for however many days. Our soul will be immediately taken up to Christ, its head. Christ is our head. We are the members of his body. Christ, as the head who came and died for us, shed his blood for us, purchased us, body and soul, so that our soul belongs to him. And therefore, he will take our soul to him, to be with him, there in a place we have never been to before, a place we have never seen before, a place that is spiritual just like our souls. And therefore, just as you cannot see your soul, even with the most advanced technology, so also you cannot see heaven with the most advanced technology. They might develop incredible telescopes, they have already, in which they scan the heavens, they scan deep space, and try to look farther and farther into the universe. But they will never be able to find heaven because it is a spiritual place. And there is an infinite canyon, gap, chasm between this visible world, and that invisible world. So that, in a sense, you can say that it is infinitely far away from this world. But in another, in another sense, it's right here. I say it's right here because it's simply a different kind of place than we think of. I say it's right here because Christ simply has to reach from that world into this world, and he can take our souls to him. He doesn't have to travel from there to here and back again to bring every single one of God's children up into that place. He reaches through and takes us from here into there in an instant. And so although it's far away so that we can never travel to it, never find it, never see it, as long as we have these eyes of flesh, yet it's not far away at all. God describes that glorious place to us a little bit in his word to give us hope and comfort. He calls it paradise. And in the beginning, he created the Garden of Eden, and that was the first paradise. It was a a garden full of beautiful trees and flowers and fruits, in which man and beast dwelt together in perfect peace and harmony. There was no violence. There was no struggle. There was no warfare. There was no bloodshed or death, but perfect harmony. It's like that, but better. It's the second paradise, the better paradise, where the saints and angels dwell in perfect peace and serenity. He calls it a city, the heavenly city, the city to which Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were really traveling and what they were really looking for. They were not really interested in that physical land of Canaan, but we read in Hebrews 11 that they looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God, a heavenly city, an eternal city, the celestial city. And when scripture calls it a city, we are to think of a community. A city is a community of people dwelling together in one place. There are many dwelling places in that community. There are many people living in that community. There are streets and people walking on those streets. There are houses where people dwell. The saints who have finished their courses go up there and find their place. The angels remained faithful to God, they live there. And this is a city whose population is constantly growing. Every day its population grows, as saints here below finish their course and go up above. It's a place where the streets are paved with gold, and in the midst of that city is a throne, a glorious, divine throne, and the one who sits on that throne is God Almighty, And sitting at his right hand is our Lord Jesus Christ. And God also calls this place his house. We think of Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus said. Let not your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. My Father's house has many mansions. I tell you before so that you will know that when your place is prepared and when you are prepared for that place, then I will come for you and I will take you to be with me where I am. I will give you your place, your house, your room, in my Father's house of many mansions. And in the chapter we read, chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, We have a building of God not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That building of God not made with hands is heaven. It is the city, the dwelling place of all God's people. It's a house not made with hands. It's an eternal house in the heavens. It's a resting place for our souls. And in that place, in that house, are great and lavish tables of fellowship where God's saints sit down together with our oldest brother, Jesus, and we see him and we fellowship with him. And when we see him, through him, we see God Almighty and we have fellowship in his covenant. That's what will happen to us when we die. That's where we will go in our souls we can't imagine it. We can't grasp how we will live and walk and see and hear in that place in our souls. But we believe it. And because we have that great hope and comfort, the apostle says in chapter 4 that we read For which cause we faint not. We don't faint. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. All the afflictions that we have in this life, the great and the small, the heavy and the light, they're all light. They're all light because they're only for a moment. They seem to last so long. They seem never to go away. But they're only for a moment in comparison to the unending ages of eternity. And therefore we don't faint. We press on. We press on by faith. For we know that if this earthly house, this tabernacle is dissolved, we will go to be with God in heaven. And oh, how we groan for that heavenly house. He says in chapter 5, verse 6, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We want to be at home in the body. We want to be here. We want to be in the body. And yet we know that as long as we are, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body than to be present and to be present with the Lord. That's how much we want to be with the Lord. That we're willing to vacate our bodies for a time. Because to be with Christ is far better. I believe the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. What does that mean? What comfort does that give us? The Catechism says, first of all, that after this life, my soul will be immediately taken up to Christ. That's not all. In fact, the Catechism doesn't want us to focus on that. Not only that, the Catechism says, not just that, but also that this my body will be raised up by the power of Christ, reunited with my soul, and made like unto the glorious body of Christ. And that will happen not immediately after this life, But that will happen on the last day of the history of the world when the Lord comes again. The resurrection of the body. Our hope stretches forward not just to heaven and the soul, but to the resurrection of the body on the last day. We know that when our soul goes out of this, our tabernacle, then this tabernacle will be dissolved. Paul says that. We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, it will be dissolved. When we die, our body will be eaten by worms. Our body might be burned in the flames. Our body might be destroyed in a million ways. And the particles that make up our body might be scattered throughout the earth. But that does not cause us to be afraid. Because we know, first of all, that in our souls, we will be awake in the presence of the Lord. And we know that in our bodies, we will sleep in the grave. Sleep. The scriptures say again and again and again that the Christian, when he dies, his body goes to sleep. His soul does not go to sleep. His body goes to sleep and the dust of the earth. And that body, your body, and my body, is also owned by Christ. He died on the cross to purchase your soul, but also to purchase your body. And it's precious to him. Your body is precious to him. So when your body goes to sleep in the grave, he will take care of it. He will watch over it. And he will make sure that it is ready for the resurrection. The comfort that we have is that when Christ returns, he will raise our bodies. Notice four scriptures, and there are many others, but notice four which prophesy of the resurrection of the body. Already in the Old Testament, Daniel 12, verses 1 through 3, Daniel writes that after a time of great trouble, and his prophetic eye stretches forward to the very last days, after a time of tribulation, he says, Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. He says, Everyone will awake from the dust, but some to everlasting life, some to To everlasting shame. In Matthew 24, verses 30 and 31, the Lord Jesus Christ prophesies that when he appears on the clouds of heaven with the great sound of the trumpet, he will send his angels to gather his elect from the four winds of heaven, from the four corners of the earth. Not only those who are still alive, but also those who have passed away, those whose bodies are in the graves. The angels will be sent forth by Jesus to gather the dead, the elect who are sleeping in the graves, up into heaven to be with him. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, The Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And only when the dead the dead in Christ, who are sleeping in the graves, shall rise. Only then, those who are still alive will be caught up into the air to be with him forever. 1 Corinthians 15:52 and 53. In a moment, in a, the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, And this mortal must put on immortality. Those scriptures and many, many others speak of the resurrection of the body on the last day. And that's why we confess with all Christians throughout all ages, I believe the resurrection of the body. The resurrection of the body, too, is a wonder that we can never fully grasp in this life. It will be a miracle. One of the last great miracles in history. How will Christ raise my body from the dust of the ground? If my body is eaten by worms, if my body is burned with fire, if my body's particles are scattered in a billion different directions, how will Christ gather together the particles that made up my body and fashion my body again. We can't understand that. Some people find that reality a ground to deny the resurrection of the body, and some people get their bodies cremated after they die, precisely because they don't think that there will be a resurrection of the body, or that there could not be if they would burn their bodies and scatter their ashes on the sea. It's a last-ditch effort and attempt to escape the final judgment of Christ. But we know that what seems impossible to us is possible with God. The one who made the heavens and the earth out of nothing is able also to raise our bodies from the dust of the ground. But how, having raised our body, will he reunite our soul to that body? When our souls are in heaven, when our souls come back to the world with Jesus, how will he reconnect them, knit them back together again? How will he do what he did when we were conceived in our mother's womb, but which was undone when we died? How will he bring them back together again? Doctors are able to do amazing things today. They're able to take a severed limb and reconnect it to the body through modern technology. And I imagine that as technology develops, they'll get better and better at reuniting body parts to the body. But the doctors and scientists will never, ever be able to join a soul back to a body again after it has left through death. That's a feat that only God can perform. How will God do it? We don't know. It's an unfathomable, unimaginable mystery that eye has not seen, that ear has not heard. But we do know this. On that great day, he's not going to create a new body for you. It's not that God will create something that It's totally different. Something that is not you, doesn't look like you in any sense. That's not the meaning of the resurrection. The catechism says, this, my body, will be raised. This, my body, that, your body, that specific body will be raised. That's the miracle of the resurrection. And how he will do that, we cannot imagine, but we believe it. You see, God, when he creates something, he delights in it. We saw that, we see that in the beginning chapters of Scripture when he created all things, he looked at them and said they were very good. It's all very good because when God makes something, he doesn't make mistakes. It's all very good. And that's true of our bodies too. Our bodies are under the curse of sin, and therefore they have many defects, many weaknesses, many infirmities. Nevertheless, our body, as a design of God himself, is good, and God delights in it, and God will raise it. This, my body, that, yours, on the day of Christ. But then the catechism adds one more thing from the scriptures. Not only will he raise the body back to life, not only will he reunite it with my soul, but in the third place, he will make my body like unto the glorious body of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ also was given a body. When he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born into the world, he had a body, a very specific body. And people who got to know him could recognize him from the way he looked. And in that very body, he died on the cross. He shed his blood. He was pierced. And he gave up the ghost. And his soul departed from his earthly tabernacle into paradise. And his body was buried in the grave for parts of three days. But then his body and soul were reunited and raised, raised, Into something far better than it ever was before. A glorious, heavenly, spiritual body. And the scriptures teach us in Philippians 3, the last verse, that our body will be changed, our vile body will be changed and fashioned like unto his glorious body. What will that be like? All we know is the body we've lived in since we were born. And the body as we currently are in it. But what will it be like when our body is fashioned like the glorious body of Christ? The very same body, but glorified, exalted, elevated. And fashioned like unto Christ's body, after the pattern of his resurrection body. What will it be like to live in a body that is immortal? incorruptible, incapable of pain, injury, bloodshed, sickness, disease, death, deformity. What will it be like to live in a body that is powerful and strong with a power and strength that never wanes so that we can run and not be weary, we can walk and not faint for all eternity What will it be like to be in a heavenly body that radiates with heavenly glory and beauty so that we are happy with our bodies? We are content with our bodies. We are thankful to God for our bodies. We no longer complain about anything that has to do with our bodies because we delight in the body that God has given to us. What will that be like? Mysteries. Wonders things that await us at the resurrection of the body. Do you believe in the resurrection of the body? That resurrection, that glorious, elevated resurrection. Finally, the Catechism asks about the life everlasting. And when the Catechism explains that, you notice that it speaks of a wonder that God gives to us in this life already and then in the life to come. I think the way the catechism words the answer seems like the authors of the catechism had in mind life now in the soul and life in heaven after this life, but then also life forever in the new creation. But I'm going to focus now on that last one. And I think in the Apostles' Creed, that last one is really the main thing in view. After all, it's the very last article of the Creed. What's the last thing we say before we say amen at the end of the Creed? The life everlasting. The Apostles' Creed wants us to take into our view that life that will never end, that we will enjoy and experience in the new creation, After Jesus comes, after he melts this world with a fervent heat, after the stars fall from heaven, after he rolls up the universe like a scroll, after he raises the bodies of the dead and gathers all nations to the last judgment, after he separates the sheep and the goats, after he bids us come into the kingdom that was prepared for us from the foundation of the world, after he opens the doors to that brand new creation that no one has ever seen and no one has ever lived in before. That. Life everlasting. And the Catechism points out to us that we do experience already now a beginning of that eternal joy. Because the Holy Spirit and the Apostle reminds us in chapter 5, verse 5, that The Spirit has been given to us now as the earnest of our inheritance. The Spirit lives in us. The Spirit gives to us the beginning of eternal life and the beginning of eternal joy so that every time by faith I look to the Lord Jesus Christ, every time by faith I fasten my eyes on Him who died for me in His love, who showed such mercy and grace toward me that he gave up his life on the cross and when I see him with the eyes of faith hanging there on the cross bloodied and bruised and pierced and shedding his precious blood for me because he loves me and then when I see him bursting forth from the, the grave glorious and victorious and I remember that he lives he lives at the right hand of God when I remember that I'm a redeemed person I'm forgiven. I'm justified. I'm righteous through the blood of Christ. And now I'm safe and secure in the arms of Christ. And no one and nothing can take me out of those hands. When I think of those things, then I experience that joy. Not when I walk in the paths of sin, but when by faith, I look to Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. And that beginning of eternal joy will be perfected. And that tiny little taste will become fullness. Not when we get to heaven in our souls. That will be good. That will be wonderful and glorious. But we have seen that our souls don't want to be outside of our bodies. Our souls are at home in our bodies. And therefore the fullness, the perfection of that salvation lies beyond the resurrection. When Christ bids us into that new heavens and that new earth. And what will that be like? Well, we know that we will live there forever. When we die and go to heaven, we will live in our souls in heaven only for a time. We often confuse those. We think that when we die, we go to heaven and live there forever. No. When we die, we go to heaven and live there until the resurrection. And then we go into something even better. Then the Lord takes us into the new creation. There's going to be a new creation, and we're going to live there forever, forever. Everlasting life. It's the age of the ages. This world is just an age, but that world will be the age of the ages, the age of ongoing ages, unending ages. We'll be there 10,000 years and it will only seem like we have just begun. Because it will go on and on and on forever and ever, world without end. And we will never get tired of it. We will never get weary of it. We will never get bored there. We will constantly be growing and stimulated and filled with greater joy and fuller joy. How will that be possible, you say? Well, we have to go through the resurrection first. This mortal has to put on immortality. This corruptible has to put on the incorruptible. We have to inherit something that we cannot even conceive yet. We have to be perfectly fitted for that eternal creation. We don't know what that will be like, because we've only lived in this fallen and cursed world. What will that be like? To be eternally wrapped up in the glory of God. To be eternally overflowing with praise and worship and joy. Peace and rest. I wish I could describe it better for you. I wish I could describe it better for myself. What do the scriptures tell us? Only a small glimpse. I see a new heavens and a new earth, John says. And there will be no sea, for the old things are passed away, all things are become new. And I saw the holy city coming down from heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a voice saying, here is the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, come down to dwell with Christ forever. And I heard the voice of God saying, now the tabernacle of God is with men, and I will dwell with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And I will wipe away all tears from their face. And there will be no more pain or suffering or death. What will it be like? A glorious city made of pure gold. Pearly gates that are never closed. Because there are no enemies, no dangers or threats. So why bother closing the gates? There will be no sun there. Because God will be the light of that place. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Shining in all of their glory. And we will bask in the glorious light of God and Christ for all eternity. There will be a river there. Flowing with pure water. Like we've never tasted in this world. There will be trees there bearing fruit so sweet and nutritious. Unlike anything this world has ever known. The wolves and the deer will not be at war with each other. The lions and the baby goats will sit down together. The child will play by the hole of the snake and there will be no violence and no harm and no danger. Perfect harmony, bliss, rest. All of our ideals, all of the things we aspire for and desire will be realized and will never come to an end. The greatest glory of the new creation will be that in that reality to which all things in this life point, that unending paradise to which this is just the prelude, we will dwell with God there. And God will dwell with us. And we will see Him and walk with Him and talk with Him in the everlasting covenant for all eternity. And that will never get old. But that will remain constantly new and constantly glorious for all eternity. I believe the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Our Father, we give thanks to Thee for the hope of the gospel that through our Lord Jesus Christ, Thou dost promise these glorious things. Fill our hearts with hope this morning as we contemplate things which our eyes have never seen, our ears have never heard. May it, Father, cause us not to faint, even when our outward man perishes, knowing that our inward man will inherit salvation after this life. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly and hear the prayers of thy church.